Keen podcast, your access inside the Team Keen Junior Racing Program. Welcome to Lachlan Lockie Chapman, the junior coordinator of Team Keen's uh, junior rowing program. Welcome to the podcast, Lockie. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me here. Great to have you here. Let's start out with a little bit of who you are, where you come from, what your rowing career as an athlete and coach has been. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you come from, Lucky. Hail from a, a mythical land uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, Australia. Uh, grew up on, on the West Coast in Perth, which is the most isolated city in the world, uh, both geographically and sometimes it uh, feels socially in technology. We're almost like a, a ginormous country town uh, it feels like. So about 2 million people uh, spread over a, a pretty big distance. Uh, and so everything moves a, a little bit slower there than it does in some of your major cities. I started rowing in Perth when I first started high school uh, and made my way through, just did the five years there. Uh, and that's what I like to refer to as my, my fun part of rowing, where I really wasn't focused on performance I was just focused on getting in the boat I enjoyed rowing I enjoyed being there with my mates uh, and yeah just just wanted to row every day and so through that I was in in year eight I was in the sixth crew in year nine I was in the fifth crew in year 10 I was in the fourth uh, and that's that's per year group not overall school and then year 11 was in the third eight and year 12 was in the second eight so I never rowed in any of my a grade or, or first grade crews all the way through school. Uh, left school, had a year off, uh, just enjoyed hockey, enjoyed being 18, enjoyed being at university, all those sorts of things. Uh, and one of my mates that I rode with at school was at a club and said, he said to come down and just row with him. So I went down, started rowing again, just for the love of it, once a week. Uh, pretty soon it was rowing about five, six times a week. Uh, and the coach said, oh, you know, we've got these afternoon sessions on in the gym and doing ergos and that sort of thing if you want to come down. So I just started going to those as well. Uh, just this is all purely recreational. It was in our off season for the Perth time, which is over, over our summer. Uh, and then one day he just said, oh, you should try to, you should race at the national championships. And I went off. Oh, that sounds, sounds like a lot of effort. Uh, <laughs> what does that involve? And he said, well, it involves rowing six times a week and going to the gym five times a week. I said, oh, I'm already doing that. He said, yeah, so why don't you just race? And I was like, oh, okay. So I raced at the national championships, uh, came in, ended up with my, with my best mate from school that got me down there, ended up uh, in the B final, second in the B final. So that's eighth fastest in the country for under 23. And we were 18 what years old. This? So, what uh, so that was the lightweight pairs, that okay. boat. Uh, we also went into lightweight fours uh, and we got a, we came third in the bronze medal position, uh, but there were only three crews. So we weren't awarded the medal uh, and it was slightly less of a claim than most people's bronze medal claims. Uh, continuing from there, uh, we had some state teams. So Western Australia versus South Australia, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria. Uh, there's some state team stuff sort of in the middle of the year, or there used to be, they've, they've stra uh, scrapped that competition now. Um, but our coach basically said, oh, why don't you just keep training for that? And we went, yeah, all right, We've, we're just having fun training, so keep going. Uh, was lucky enough to get into that sort of sub-state team, under-21 uh, team. Uh, and then from there, we were leading into the 2013 uh, 
national championships. So this would be my third year out of school. Uh, and that's where things start to became, become a little bit more serious for me about performance, where I started to realise, oh, actually, I could, it's not, it doesn't just have to be about having fun and stuffing around with your mates. I sort of realised that I could do both. I could have fun, have fun with my mates and really try to, to get better, to get stronger, to get faster, to get fitter, uh, all these sorts of things. So that, then that started my serious phase and uh, over the, uh, in 2013, we went back to the national championships again in the lightweight pair and our lightweight four. Uh, and that was with a, a, a different uh, mate. And we were fortunate enough to win gold in, in both of those events, uh, wow. which was very exciting. Uh, it was, and I, I think a, a lot of, a lot of the things that I actually learned about myself in, uh, you know, in, in my first 21 years on the planet was learned in the sort of six months leading up to that competition and, and even more in the six months after, but um, going from the realization of actually I'm not, I'm not that chubby kid from school anymore who sits in the second boat and watches everyone else be faster. I can actually be uh, an athlete and a, and a competitor. Um, was what it, made that difference? You know, it, it reminds me of Michael Jordan's story of getting cut from the varsity basketball team and then becoming Michael Jordan. What, what was the difference between not making the first boat as a high school student and then winning a national championship? Um, well, thank you for the comparison to Michael Jordan. Um, I'll be telling <laughs> everyone about that. Um, I suppose it's probably uh, a, a number of factors. One, the most basic is I probably just grew a bit after school. Uh, some people, you know, going through those years, especially grow at different rates. And I probably did put on a bit more, more muscle, grow a little bit, probably start to produce a bit more testosterone after school compared to a lot of uh, the guys I was in school with. So that certainly played a factor. Um, part of it as well was probably always having been behind people as the underdog. I really enjoyed knocking off the people that were supposed to be better than me. And that was, that was a big part of our ethos. We as lightweights training at the club we were at, there was always heavyweights that were just naturally faster than us on the erg and were just faster in the boat because they had more weight. So our thing was every chance we, we could get to be in front of them, we just took, and no, no matter what it took, we, we took that opportunity. Uh, <laughs> so that was sort of our, our training ethos was to, uh, you know, our, our coach used to call the heavyweights the fat boys. So any chance we could to beat the fat boys uh, was, was, a good, was a good day. But um, eventually it got to the point where we were just consistently faster than some of the heavyweights. And uh, it, it was an interesting change to go from the, the token underdogs to uh, the, the ones that people were looking to. Um, part of it was, I suppose, men mentality as well of, well, if you don't try, you you you'll never know. So every session we went down that we got challenged by our coach to do something or every race or whether we were running, doing a stair climb or doing a weight session or an ergo, it was, if I leave here having not actually done everything I possibly could to overcome that challenge, I'll never know whether or not I could have. Uh, but if I have an absolute go, if I fall short, then I've got my answer. And if I overcome it, well, I don't actually know how far I could have gone ab above that challenge. So, right. so that's what tomorrow's for is find the next one. Fantastic. No, that's a great entry. Well, so we have you now here in the UK. Um, you coordinate the whole junior program at Team Keen. 
Um, and we can get into a little bit of the challenges. I mean, I, I imagine, you know, you came here during a pandemic and we're still in a pandemic and this kind of affects everything really. And it'd be good to talk to you a little bit about what you do day to day and even in that context. And I know a lot of the athletes and, and parents and other interested people listening to this will be keen to hear about that. But why don't we start a little bit about what you do at, um, at Team Keen? in the in the in the round absolutely so uh as junior coordinator my time is split uh between administration coordination organizational work and actually on the water coaching um both of them have their own challenges especially if you, as you said at the moment uh but essentially my portfolio uh covers everything to do with the junior program uh the communication uh, everything to get kids on the water. Uh, now, obviously, we've got, uh, it's not all on my shoulders. We do have a, a really excellent team of people here uh, to help with, you know, all, all, all sorts of that. So, you know, Craig with the boats, um, Paul supplying equipment and uh, running school kids around in the minibus and dealing with uh, people from outside of the club. Uh, whereas my, I'm generally to do with the communication within the club. So communication coaches, communication to rowers and the comms to the parents. Um, well, it really is impressive. Paul Keane has put together an incredible team um, and you are just, you know, the latest example of that um, to, you know, to really achieve so much. Uh, I think it's, it's worth noting, you know, as Team Keane, we are doing a lot in the middle of a pandemic. And just as the club charity chair, I'm just so proud to be a part of a club that is just doing all the right things as far as health and coordination and, you know, all the regulations during this pandemic, but also, you know, doing it. I mean, you, you allude to all the work that needs to be done to get kids, kids on the water. We really are in a unique place in that the government has exempted um, outdoor uh, team sports, especially for, uh, kids under 18 and it almost feels like a it's an opportunity but it's also an obligation to 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 not waste that and to make sure it works for you know the mental health the physical health the socialization the routine you know all the benefits that are provided to these kids and um it is it is damn hard doing it with all the restrictions and 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 genuine fears and so forth and I just know firsthand um, what the kind of work you do and how difficult it is and how well, and, and, and frankly, a lot of the stress you've worked under. I mean, I can, I know a few Saturdays recently where, you know, um, it's, it's tough and, but it's, it's really important work. I mean, I don't want to overstate the point and I don't think I am, but it's sort of, we've been given an exemption in society because these kinds of sports are important for individuals and groups in society. And we just, we just need to do our best to make it work. Um, so yeah, it's, it's amazing the work you do. Yeah, absolutely. Ken, it, it definitely feels like it would be a big job uh, to coordinate the some 200, 250 kids that we've got uh, as members here, even without these COVID restrictions, but they, they definitely add a, an extra factor to it that we have to work around. Uh, for example, we've we've got to do our own things um, to make sure our kids are safe. So uh, you're making sure, obviously, on top of normal things like life jackets for coxswains and people uh, driving launches, but then 
face masks for the coxswains as well and eyewear, uh, face masks for coaches who are in launches with, with a rower or with a, an ex, another coach, uh, having an extra face shield in there in case we do take someone out of the boat or uh, out of the water if there's a capsize, having hand sanitizer available uh, at every entrance, having the, uh, ha not having access to the change rooms, which uh, is in a separate uh, area of restrictions that I'll talk about in a moment having disinfectant there and having to scrub every handle, every oar, every seat, every gate, uh, every place you hold the boat after every session. Um, you know, all, all these things uh, make sense and they're important, uh, but they do add up to, to places where everyone needs to be aware of them. So not just, not just the rowers, not just myself, Paul and Miranda, but uh, sorry, coaches and organisers, but the rowers have to come in aware of uh, what their obligations are and, and how to create this safe environment. On top of that, we've then got restrictions placed on us by the people who own the building that we currently row out of. Uh, and there's a, they, they are doing their best to follow the guidelines that they've been given. Uh, British Rowing have released, since I've started in, in a month and a half, uh, British Rowing have released three different sets of guidelines during that time so things are constantly changing um and we we understand that that can be a, quite a nuisance for parents who are trying to organize one two three four kids uh and their timetable within a week uh but we're, we're just doing obviously what we can and what we need to do to create these safe environments so just recently uh some communication was sent out to parents to change some of the times for their weekend rows uh, because we have to stagger when we can and can't be at the boat shed to fit in with the eight other rowing clubs that share the same facility as us, just as an, an example. Uh, and like I said, the change rooms are off limits, so you can use the toilets, but you can't get changed in there, so there's not uh, people in there for long periods of time, uh, That's th those sorts of things. And it, it, it's hard, too, in that, you know, you, you mentioned the eight other clubs that use the same boathouse that, that we do, and all of them are university or older level. And the coordination and communication of their teams is different than ours. So we, we'll have a learn to row group with 10 year olds, 11 year olds. And you know, obviously there's parents that help them with transportation and they might have a sibling that has you know, ballet class at a certain time. And so the family is rushing to get little Susie to rowing to get to little Johnny's, you know, hockey session. And for us to change the time <laughs> of, of a rowing event is, you know, it, it, it's actually not possible. I mean, you know, sometimes we've had to do it just because we've had to, but that has a, a financial impact on the club. It has a reputational impact that, you know, it's obviously very frustrating for people. It, it, it um, you know, it's impossible for some people. Whereas some of the other clubs at the boathouse, if you tell the, you know, the 10 kids on the college rowing team to come up a half hour later, they just come a half hour later. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, it's hard work. It's hard work. Um, yeah. No, I think, and I think you hit the nail on the head there, Ken, with um, every, everyone's in a different situation. Uh, so everyone struggles with it differently. And, um, as human beings, our first instinct isn't to see things from each other's point of view, but the more we can just openly talk to each other. And I've had, you know, some brilliant feedback from parents where we've um, moved a session for whatever it might be, poor attendance to fit in with the COVID restrictions, whatever it is. And parents just come back and say, Hey, you know, that, that does affect us. We appreciate why you're doing it. 
and then saying, what if you did this? Uh, and, you know, providing a, a solution to, to what's the problem for all of us. And, and it's that sort of, uh, you know, community and, and give and take and communication that, that we're really after. So, yeah, um, yeah. Really it really is heartening how, um, like speaking of parents as an example of people who have really been understanding. I mean, I've had conversations with parents where they are just genuinely appreciative that they have rowing as an option in their child's life, their family. And they're just, you know, so thankful that we're doing all this. And, and even, I mean, I had a conversation with a parent who was dropping off a, a, a young child who was new to rowing and they, you know, they wanted to stay and, you know, observe and you know they they had nowhere to go they were going to drive their child home after the session and um you know it would be great for them to be able to stand up on the balcony and watch and kind of experience this with their kid but you know i had to say to them listen um you need to leave <laughs> you know this is the social distancing thing and we just can't have people hanging out at the boathouse there's limits and 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 that that's disappointing, but they were so understanding and like, of course, and you know, they, they left and, or even just things like wearing masks and so forth, you know, people are um, understanding and that's just so appreciated, appreciated. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the, for me, the, the hardest and possibly one of the most disappointing restrictions is, is not allowing parents to stay and watch their kids from, from up on the balcony. Um, it would be great to see, you know, 20, 20, 30, 40 parents there watching their kids during a session, having a coffee together, getting to know each other, um, having time then to chat to the coaches afterwards. Uh, but unfortunately, it's just not the time we, we live in right now. Uh, 12 months ago, not a problem. In 12 months' time, hopefully not a problem. Um, and I do appreciate, especially for people watching their kid do a sport for the first time, you know, you, you, you would be able to watch soccer from you know, a few fields away, you could probably still watch them run around, but we're just not in that position at the moment. And you know, another reason that it would be great, um, and we should talk in a second about what parents who are new to the sport need to know, but for, for context, I, this wasn't so recently, but a little while ago, I, I was talking to a parent about rowing and they came from a um, basketball background. That was their, their sport. And, you know, in just, without being um, negative, they said to me, it's like, you know, what's the deal with rowing? I mean, it's just sounds so boring. You get in a boat and you row up the river. Like what, what do, what do you do? <laughs> I was kind of surprised by the question. And I, I said to the guy, I said, so, okay. So basketball is just putting a ball through the hoop, right? How boring is that? What do you do? Right. <laughs> you know? And, and I think so like the penny dropped to them, like, okay, like obviously basketball is, so much more than putting a ball through a hoop in the same way that rowing is so much more than, than, you know, just rowing up the river. And, um, I, um, had the opportunity to help out with some of the learn to row, um, this past weekend and had for, you know, young people in a tub for, and this was, I think the third week that they were, um, third session they'd had in their lives. And we, we were on the water, but you know, on, I was standing in my wellies holding the boat and um, we were going through the rowing motion. And it was actually <laughs> impressive about how they clearly knew the basic concepts of you come up to the front of the slide at the catch and you put the oar in the water and your arms are straight. And then you put your legs down and then you follow through with your back and arms. But actually doing it, <laughs> first of all, I was impressed 
with how difficult they were finding it, right? Because it's, it's a motion that for you and I is just so kind of burned into our muscle memory. But to have people kind of, it's just overwhelming the sensory of kind of doing it all. And so you do realize how sort of even complex the motion is, but then, yeah, anyway, I, I, I wish parents could observe all that because, um, you know, I, I know there are a lot of parents who have never rode before and to them it's kind of like, yeah, it, you know. <laughs> Why is it so hard? Um, but anyway, Lucky, what do parents who are unfamiliar with this sport, what do they need to know when they bring their, their prized children down to the boathouse? Sure. So uh, there's, probably, there's probably a few different aspects to it. We'll touch on the one you've just spoken about, which is the, the actual difficulty of the movement. So uh, if you were, you know, if you sent your kids out on a, a school camp, they might do, you know, in the morning, they might go for a hike and then in the afternoon, they might do two hours or an hour of kayaking. Uh, and they can say, yeah, we're out there for a few hours just splashing around and falling in and jumping back in and paddling. Uh, and that's, kayaking isn't, I'm not saying kayaking is an easy thing, but it's pretty straightforward. You put the, the paddle in in front of you and you pull yourself towards the paddle and, and your boat moves forward. Um, as you've already alluded to, there's so, so many technical points about rowing because it's not, uh, a natural movement uh it's quite uh I've completely it's counterintuitive That's you're, you're literally backwards yeah yes, exactly it's counterintuitive to what you think you, sh you should be doing and, and even when you come to the front as you said you're supposed to keep your arms straight while you push your legs down whereas you're thinking all right now i pull the handle towards me so a lot yeah. of kids bend their arms i think um i think the under one thing that parents do need to understand is that 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 takes time uh, to, to get that. It can take a few sessions. Uh, and with only one session a week, that means it can take a few weeks before kids are actually ready to be, to be pushed out onto the water and, and be able to move anywhere. We could push them out and the boat would stay still if we were on flat water. Unfortunately, we're on a tidal system. So when we push, <laughs> the, when we push the kids out... They'll end up at the Houses of Parliament by the time <laughs> Yeah, it'd be a, it would be a great sightseeing tour for kids on their, their first day of learning to race. With the Port Authority chasing them down. Yeah, and, and we just have to take a, the minibus, you know, 12Ks upriver to, to grab them or downriver to grab them. And, and them back. But, um, Let's not do that. Think, yeah, that, that, we have no interest in doing that. We want to keep it safe. So the first thing is just the, the understanding that uh, in good conditions, it will take a while to get the kids to a point where they can push up on the water and go for a row and then come back. Uh, and if they're ready for that and then there's bad conditions, they may still be on, on shore for that session. So uh, with, with other sports, with a soccer ball, throw it out. You could, if I was teaching junior soccer and I had 39 year old kids, I could walk into an oval and just kick the ball as far as I could and said, bring it back. And the kids would all go for a run. They'd all kick the soccer ball at least once. Uh, and if they did that for 45 minutes, you'd be happy because your kid would come back. They'd be stuffed. They'd go to sleep early that night, hopefully. Uh, and you know, they, they'd say, mum, dad, I played soccer today. Um, I think it's just, yeah, that expectation of what will happen at a session and, and why is important. Uh, the other thing is it's going to get cold. Make sure you send your kids down um, with, with a few layers, a few light layers. If it's a baggy hoodie with uh, a hand warmer in the front or pockets on the sides uh, that's more dangerous than a, than a tight fitting uh, skivvy or, or jumper uh, because the handles can get caught in those pockets or the baggy clothing so tight fitting is better 
several layers uh, and gown boots or, or Wellington boots. Sorry, there's a, an Australian colloquialism. Wellington boots uh, so that they can keep their feet dry uh, and their socks dry. Uh, but also the understanding that, well, and the kids understand that they probably will get wet. It is, it is a water sport. While, whilst they are in a boat, sometimes there's rain, sometimes the water splashes up. Sometimes uh, just yesterday we had a rescue boat uh, absolutely speed through uh, or along, along past all sorts of learn to row juniors from us and from other clubs. Uh, and the waves were about a metre high um, because they needed wow. to go and rescue. They had to go and rescue someone. They're not going to slow down. We yeah. understand that. Absolutely. We'd rather that person get taken out of the water. Um, so things do happen. The kids will get wet. They just uh, uh, just need to understand that, I suppose. On, uh, on your point. Sorry, go ahead. The, the last thing I just wanted to say is that I've, I don't think I've ever met a, a rowing coach that does it but for their own personal gain or for money. Every coach I've ever met is there because they got something out of rowing, whether it be of a personal growth nature or a gold medal or whatever it is. Uh, and every coach I've ever met has, is, is there for the kids. And Team Keen is no exception, if not uh, even more above that, where every person here is dedicated to making sure the kids are having fun, staying safe and learning about themselves and, and, and growing through rowing. Yeah, no, it, well said. There's, there's a reason why all the rowing cliches are often stated at, you know, work team building events and, you know, teamwork and all that stuff. And, and we won't repeat all those cliches, but they're true. <laughs> and um, as a sport, it's hard and it's technical and teamwork is fundamental. And I totally relate to your point about what rowing can do as far as setting you up for life. And um, in so many ways, back to the advice about uh, what to wear. Um, I take your point about the hoodies with the pockets and stuff. If you get an oar caught in your pocket, you know, that can be very dangerous. Um, and my, my high school rowing coach would, and this is in the 80s, so this is maybe before all the modern fabrics, but there were three rules, and the rules were wool, wool, and wool. <laughs> and this is in Seattle, in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, where, where it was cold, and, and, and it, you know, it rained every day. <laughs> you know, we, we, we would row. If we didn't row in the rain, we'd never row. And um, I think this is true, um, and he would tell us that Every year he gave the same speech. He said, if you got three cups of water and you wrapped one of them in wet cotton and another in wet wool and a third was not wrapped in anything and you put them in a freezer, the water with wet cotton would freeze first because the cold air, go, it, it just literally will go right through the wet cotton. The wool, the wet wool would freeze last because it, ask, it acts asks acts as insulation. So the initial outside air is trapped within the wool and it, it, it keeps it from getting cold as fast. And then the, uh, you know, without being wrapped, it, it'll freeze after the wet cotton actually. And so we would all show up in old, as tight fitting as possible, you know, moth eaten sweaters, or I guess what they call jumpers here, or pullovers, or I don't know what they call them, but we call them sweaters of just natural wool. And it was great. And they get wet and they get heavy and that's 
you know, true, but they keep you warm, especially when you're working hard and you keep that insulation of, of body warmth. And so no matter how, how wet it would get or how cold it would get, that natural fiber kept us warm. And we would wear wool socks and we would wear wool sweaters. Um, and, and I kept that going when I rode as a university student in California where it would get cold and all the Californians would be like, what are you doing wearing wool? And I'd be like, why are you cold? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm doing good. So a bit of advice. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, yeah, being able to withstand the cold is going to be something that just makes you be able to enjoy it more because you get to focus on the good things rather than yeah. focusing on spending 90 minutes out there focusing on how cold you are. You focus on how nicely you're rowing and moving the boat. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, well, um, Lucky, before we wrap it up, any final, any final thoughts to share? Um, I suppose just, I don't think I get an opportunity to say how excited I am for the current year. Uh, you know, we've already, already seen the, the club change in so many ways over the, over the last uh, few months, some of them because of restrictions and some of them because, uh, you know, think things are just improving and, uh, the change in the kids, uh, especially the, you know, the race squad that came down to volunteer over all those uh, camps, they're setting a really good example for the rest of the club. And I think you know, I've already alluded to the, the chance and potential for personal growth within the sport of rowing. I think it's greater than any other sport in the world uh, from that aspect. And we've already seen that in practice just this year alone um, within that squad I just mentioned and, and how they've, change their outlook to their rowing you know they they now understand that they're not there just for them they're part of something bigger than themselves uh and they're they're doing what they can to to make make it work both by making their boats faster and faster every day when they're rowing but also and you know how can they give back and you can see that from our captains Gemma and nathan every every week they say look i, I don't need to do that much study tonight do you need a do you need a coxswain for you to row or all that sort of thing. So, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding of uh, if you if your kids stay in this program, they'll come out better rowers, but more importantly, they're, they're going to come out better people. Fantastic. Yeah, what a great point. Okay, Lucky, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate right. it. Thank you for listening to the Team Keen podcast. Visit us at teamkeen.com or find other episodes of this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash teamkeen or wherever you listen to podcasts. The original music by Daniel Duke Jordan.